The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with wait and see. Stocks looking to potentially extend their losses from yesterday as investors await this morning's November employment report and strike a burden. Congress pushing forward an 11th hour effort to avoid a nationwide rail strike that could have cost the U.S. economy $2 billion a day and calling for a cap. Reports this morning the European Union is closing in on a deal over Russian crude prices ahead of Monday's implementation date and kicked off again. Rapper Kanye West, we're going to tell you what he did to anger Elon Musk. And speaking of Elon Musk, as we often do here on CNBC, a huge night for Tesla in the biggest little city in the world and not a moment too soon. It is Friday, December the 2nd, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Happy Friday. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. As we mentioned, they're pretty much flat right now. Not a lot of movement. Um, but however, uh, you know, we want, also want to keep track because there could be a lot of movement later on in the day when that jobs report comes out. We also want to check the bond market this morning. As we can see right here, yields, well, they're down a little bit from what we saw earlier this week. In fact, the tenure is about 15 basis points lower than it was to start the week. The two-year note, that's about 25 basis points, almost 25 basis points lower than it was to start the week. So we're still seeing that inverted yield curve. However, that spread is starting to close just a bit, something to watch. We often call that a recession indicator. Turning our attention to oil right now. Oil prices, as we can see, are up slightly this morning. WTI crude at 81 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at 87 bucks a barrel. Both of them about five or six bucks more than they started the week. And we got to pay attention to crypto. This is pretty interesting right here. We're seeing Bitcoin. Back below that 17,000 mark that somehow became meaningful as we are in crypto winter or crypto autumn. I don't even know. I don't have my crypto meteorological calendar right now. Um, Ether, XRP and Cardano, all of them down for the week. However, Bitcoin actually up 2% for the week. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Jumana Bersetti is standing by in our London newsroom with much more on that. Happy Friday, Jumana. Happy Friday, Frank. Well, not such a happy Friday for Asian markets. You can see quite a lot of red on the board behind me here, taking uh, their cue from Wall Street uh, in yesterday's session. Risk-off sentiment prevailing. Not a lot of new news when it comes to those COVID restrictions. But for the week as the whole, Shanghai Composite, Hang Seng, both up about 2 and 6 percentage points, respectively, their best week in over a month. A quick look at the Nikkei, down 1.6 percentage points. You would have thought there would be a bigger bounce given the uh, big football victory yesterday, but not really transpiring in the Nikkei, down 1.6 percentage points. Again, investors paying a close attention to what's been happening in the yen, and the strength of the yen is biting. Over here in Europe, we just got some PPI numbers come through, coming in slightly lower than expectations at a 30% handle versus 31% a year-on-year expectations. So still more signs coming through that the inflation profile in Europe has started to drop somewhat. Overall, a bit of a mixed picture. You can see the FTSE 100 down about three-tenths of a percentage point 
commodities, basic resources, leading declines there. Again, uh, the, some, some cues coming from China on that front. Zetradax up two-tenths of a percentage point. We had the trade surplus numbers come in wider than expectations, but not really on back of a big boost in exports, rather because imports have dropped so much on back of weakness in German consumer demand here. So that is the picture for Europe. For the week as a whole, though, we are going to be ending up in slightly positive territory, up about half a percentage point for the stock 600 franc. Yeah, something to certainly watch, especially with that big OPEC meeting coming up over the weekend. Jumana, thank you very much. Enjoy the weekend. All right, turning our attention back home here to the United States. Investors awaiting this morning's November jobs report. That's due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, just about three and a half hours from now. Economists expecting employers added just around 200,000 jobs last month, down slightly from the prior month. Joining me now with his expectations and what it could mean for the Fed's possible policy pivot is John Stoltzfus. Chief Investment Strategist and Managing Director at Oppenheimer Asset Management. John, great to have you here. Good morning. Good. Good morning, Frank. Good to be on the show with you. All well, right. when we look at this, what we, we think that the market's action yesterday uh, essentially tipped its hat to the importance of this data that we're going to get. Uh, the reality is that the Federal Reserve's efforts uh, are beginning to have an effect on inflation and on the momentum in the economy. You know, the old adage is, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. Uh, The market used to worry about the fact that the Fed was behind the curve. Then when it got on the shtick, so to speak, uh, things started moving. And uh, originally it wasn't enough. Now it looks like, could it be too much? Uh, We can't help but think that the number that we'll get uh, will likely give the Fed the idea that it will be able to continue raising rates into next year, but uh, at, at, at less, uh, at less uh, uh, high levels. So we'll see it, it coming off of this 75 bips boil that it's been on for a while. Very interesting there. So um, as we mentioned, the jobs report might be market movement. They're coming off a PCE report that was better than expected. And of course, we have a Fed meeting coming up. Um, could this jobs report have a significant impact on that Fed meeting or will the CPI report have a bigger impact? I think the CPI probably will. The Federal Reserve is, you know, I think they they get to, to really see what's going on when they take a look at the beige book, uh, the effects of all the uh, anecdotal evidence they find from the uh, uh, regional Federal Reserves around the country. Uh, so but they will look at the CPI and the core CPI, of course, will be the, uh, the real important thing that they will likely watch. Uh, But we feel comfortable with the situation because we are leaving a period of free money. Bad for leveraged players. We think it's better for fundamental players. Uh, So essentially, should be good for intermediate to longer term investors. While uncertainty remains, volatility volatility from time to time will provide babies that get thrown out with the bathwater. But we think we're headed out of the woods. All right. So we know this core CPI could be a market mover. But right now, when we get to your core business, Forecast in the market. Uh, what's your S&P forecast in light of all these different market movers that we have ahead? What sectors do you expect to do the best from now until year end? Well, from now until year end, I think we'll probably uh, stick where we are, where, where what we'll see in these rallies, we will see an improvement in terms of a recognition that cyclical stocks uh, make a lot of sense. We'll get uh, growthier value sectors likely participating uh, uh, in the rally as they have been, uh, we might, you know, technology has been doing a lot, uh, a lot better. Uh, I think the, uh, the SOX is up, uh, uh, nearly 30% since October 12th versus the S&P 500. 
which is, uh, as I recall, is up around 12 percent in that time. Uh, so when we look at it, uh, you've got opportunity here. You, you want to stick with the profit-generating uh, companies and good cash flow. We continue to like tech, consumer discretionary, financials, and industrials, which we've been accumulating for years now, and it, it's finally getting some recognition this year. John, you deserve all the recognition, my friend. Enjoy the weekend. Great to have you on, as always. Thanks, Frank. All right, we're going to turn now to Washington. And the Senate voting to prevent a nationwide strike by railroad workers, one that could have cost the U.S. economy billions of dollars per day. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now. Bree, I would imagine a bit of a sigh of relief down there in D.C. Oh, absolutely. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, a sigh of relief from members of Congress, as well as from President Biden, uh, who celebrated that news during the state dinner last night. He hosted his first state dinner, and it gave him a chance to shore up relations with one of the nation's oldest allies, France. A toast to diplomacy. Cheers. For the Biden administration's first state dinner, filled with pomp and pageantry. At the table, lobster and decorations, along with concerns about global issues like climate change and Russia's war with Ukraine. We stand together against oppression and injustice. We stick up for one another and our, de- our democratic values. We stand together, shoulder to shoulder, precisely to be entitled to say, at the same time, we the people and liberté, égalité, fraternité. The United Front follows a rare sign of bipartisanship on Capitol Hill. Lawmakers reached a deal to prevent what could have been a costly nationwide rail strike. The agreement provides rail workers a 24 percent pay raise over five years. I think we're going to see more and more actions like this where we are holding employers accountable and delivering what the workers deserve. The measure now heads to President Biden's desk, but it will not include the seven days of paid leave that some rail unions pushed for. Mr. Biden is promising to continue fighting for better benefits for the rail industry and beyond. I'm going to go back and we're going to get paid leave, not just for rail workers, but for all workers. With the rail strike averted, Congress must now focus on reaching a budget deal or risk a government shutdown. And in order to prevent a government shutdown, Congress must reach a budget deal by December 16th, and they'll still have to work out some differences over additional funding for Ukraine and whether to pass a one-year budget or a shorter-term deal. Frank? Yeah, huge sigh of relief. Bree Jackson in D.C. By the way, congrats on your work anniversary. You also celebrated a personal anniversary. We're social media friends. Congrats to you. We can just have a light moment now that this this vote is done. U.S. economy going to be okay, at least in the near term. Thank you so much, Frank. All right, good to see you. All right, when we come back, while the European Union is about to do something that could send oil prices surging, plus Kanye West kicked off Twitter once again, and perhaps this time permanently. We're going to tell you what he did to anger now CEO Elon Musk. And later, a closer look at how much home prices would need to fall to bring affordability back to levels not seen since February. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close 
or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Watching oil and reports this morning, the European Union is closing in on a possible Russian oil price cap of 60 bucks a barrel. If that deal is reached, the cap is scheduled to go into effect on Monday. This is investors and traders await the outcome of Sunday's big OPEC Plus meeting. The group largely expected to stick to its target of cutting oil production by 2 million barrels a day. Right now, we're seeing oil is flat. And for more on what to expect, let's bring in Paul Sankey, president and lead analyst at Sankey Research. Paul, great to have you on. Hi, good morning. So a lot going on here. Uh, OPEC meeting coming up on Sunday. We just talked about it. a lot of other macro factors, including China's delayed reopening, a potential energy crisis over in Europe. What are you expecting from this OPEC Plus meeting? Any big surprises? I don't think so, no, just simply because, as you say, there's so many cross currents here, particularly the, just this time of year is very tricky, uh, with winter literally starting meteorologically, winter starting uh, this week. Uh, it's very difficult to make uh, a call on, on how tight or loose the market will be right here. As you know, they're already out there with uh, what they said would be a two million barrel a day cut at the last meeting, which I actually attended in Vienna. And they haven't really forced that through. So really, the, the, the parameters are there for them to cut if they feel the market's getting too loose. The one thing is that the price has come down a lot. And we think Saudi would prefer prices of more like a $100 Brent, where at the moment they're you know, $20, $20 below that, more or less. So uh, you've just got to keep an eye on how the market tightens up, if at all, and if it doesn't. What, what the response of Saudi will be, which I think is a, is a question for the future, not for Sunday. All right. This week in the run up to that OPEC plus meeting, we've seen oil prices rise about five or six bucks a barrel. You also you had some dinner and some FaceTime with uh, the CEO of Chevron, Mike Worth. So I want to ask you, does he give you any insight about what he's expecting from this OPEC, OPEC plus meeting and, and, and the oil market in general? Well, he's very insightful. And, you know, in his view, the, the biggest issue is China. And the question of, in terms of essentially the supply side of oil is challenged. The demand side is the question here. You've obviously got a difficult economic question, which is very hard to second guess generally. But particularly, as you know, the China COVID situation is extremely tricky. And what Mike was talking about, Mike Worth, the CEO of Chevron, was talking about was essentially the COVID challenge of a vaccine in China that doesn't seem to work well at all. And the risk of widespread COVID there with a health system that may not be able to handle a major COVID outbreak. So China is in a very delicate place, having to lock down to avoid a major health crisis. But at the same time, at one point during our meetings, he described the Chinese economy as running at stall speed, you know, very close to uh, really getting bad. And so the Chinese are in a very tricky position. And whether or not they, they then crank the economy and risk more covid or essentially continue the shutdowns because of the health risks is, is, I would say, I'd agree with him, the biggest single risk for 2023. And, you know, as I said before, the, the problems with China become problems with oil. It's really been the single biggest driver of oil markets on the demand side over the past 20 years. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough one, and that's a tough one for OPEC, too. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say uh, 
after OPEC announced cuts earlier this year, they were surprised not to see prices go up. But obviously, China still remaining relatively closed has been a big issue there. I want to get yeah, back to that story about how much oil OPEC actually really took off the market. For example, while uh, Saudi cut production, they, they didn't cut exports anything like as much. So Saudi demand internally goes down a lot after summer. So Saudi can say they're cutting production. But if you look at their exports of oil, it really didn't cut that much from the market at all. So I think that was almost a political move, although the Saudis would, would vehemently deny it. I think it was a, a, a political move in, in terms of sending a message to the Biden administration as much as anything. Okay. And interestingly, one that they didn't really follow through on. All right, Paul, before we let you go, one last question. Uh, we, we touched on the Russian oil cap possibly coming through. Um, do you have a price target for WTI and Brent for the end of the year? Very quickly. Well, we're looking for 120 Brent by driving season. Not, so not quite answering your question, but driving season next summer. So that would be by May 2023. In the meantime, you know, we'll see. It, it looks like it's going to be cold in Europe, which is, is, is bullish for prices, obviously. And I, I don't think at this stage the price cap's going to make much difference because we don't think the mechanism particularly works. All right. Paul Sanka, we appreciate the insight as always. Enjoy the weekend. All right, still on deck, a Worldwide Exchange exclusive with Ariel Global Investments Chief Investment Officer RuPaul Balsani. Her take on the Fed inflation and where she is putting money to work right now. Wex, back right after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers and a lot of red. We're going to start off with Asana. Shares sinking more than 18% ahead of the open after the company reported a loss for its most recent quarter. The work management software operator also issuing weaker-than-expected guidance for the current quarter. Again, shares down 18 percent. All right, now to Zscaler. Also sinking despite results. This saw earnings and revenue top estimates. The company also forecasting better-than-expected earnings and sales for its fiscal second quarter. And for the full year, shares down almost 8 percent. And Marvell Technology also falling. The chipmaker missing on the top and the bottom lines for its most recent quarter. Fourth quarter estimate, also weaker than expected. As you can see, shares are down almost 7%. Well, a very busy morning in the Twitterverse. Breaking this morning, yay, the rapper formerly known as Kanye West has been kicked off Twitter once again, this time for posting more anti-Semitic imagery on the platform. In a tweet explaining that suspension, Elon Musk said, quote, I tried my best. Despite that, he again violated our rule against incitement to violence. Account will be suspended. The tweet and suspension come just 12 days after Elon Musk reinstated West onto the platform. Also following news that Ye is no longer going to buy social networking site Parler. The decision apparently reached in the middle of last month and, quote, the interest of both parties. Joining me now is Arjun Kapal. Arjun, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, fascinating, uh, well, turn of events here for, from uh, Twitter and Elon Musk, because really uh, Elon Musk bought this platform on this sort of uh, platform of free speech absolutism, and that's now being tested. And clearly that has a lot of implications for advertisers, uh, and ultimately whether advertisers will be attracted to this platform. Has Elon Musk done enough here uh, by suspending Kanye's account to show he's serious about cleaning up a lot of the inappropriate behavior on the platform, and will that be enough um, for advertisers to come flocking back, back to the platform after having left it at this point. 
So, Arjun, you and I, we actually emailed privately. Both of us are big fans of Kanye West music, but obviously what he's doing right now is unacceptable. It's completely wrong. Hate speech, totally against it. But my question to you is, when you start kicking off someone like Kanye West, is that a slippery slope for Twitter and for Elon Musk? I mean, do you have, does, does that lead to other people potentially being taken off the platform? For example, President Donald Trump, who c- tends to be a big draw on the social media site. I think this is the problem at the moment, Frank, is that it's very hard to understand where Elon Musk's red lines lie. Now, clearly, this was a vile uh, post from, from Kanye West. It went too far in, in Musk's size in particular, and he thought that was key for suspension. Now, the question is, will the suspension last for a long time? Uh, we understand that it's probably just a few hours, about 12 hours or so, or is this a permanent ban for Kanye? And that's really going to be, I think, uh, the questions Elon Musk has to ask as he goes forward. What does Twitter's moderation policy look like at this point? Is it something that is clear and is it well defined? Um, Of course, no one's saying that previous management had everything correct, but they felt at least they were trying to make an effort to define uh, what it meant uh, to, to, uh, you know, play by Twitter's rules when it came to content. And again, I think it goes back to the advertisers. The FT was reporting that Twitter is uh, handing out a load of incentives to advertisers at this point to draw them back to the platform after an exodus. But of course, it's not just about those those economic incentives for advertisers. They need to feel comfortable that their ads are not going to be uh, put up next to any kind of inappropriate tweets which could land their brands in hot water. And I think at the moment, that's something really uh, that Elon Musk and Twitter has to, has to figure out. That's going to be incredibly difficult, not just because I think at this point, as I mentioned, Musk's own red lines in terms of what is acceptable and not are not clear, but also the fact that thousands of employees have been laid off uh, could impact the way that these moderation teams work as well. Uh, And that could be a challenge for moderating content going forward. All right, Arjun, we were already planning to have you on, not to talk about Kanye West in any way, and not talk about red lines, but actually blue checks and gray checks, whatever these different colored checks are with the Twitter verified service, that was supposed to roll out today. Are we still expecting to see that come? Conflicting reports at this uh, point. Elon Musk last week said today was the day that this blue uh, verified service would be laid out. We've got two uh, separate sources with conflicting information platformer. The newsletter saying that actually the rollout's been postponed because Elon Musk is unhappy still with the 30, uh, 15 to 30% in-app purchase cut that Apple takes off its app store. The information, meanwhile, reporting that it will launch on iOS only. So wait to be seen today. But some of the things we do know about the service is that it's going to cost $8 a month. And as you mentioned, Frank, different color checks, depending on the kind of account, a gold check for companies, a gray check for government accounts and blue check uh, for individuals. The key is whether the issue, the teething problems that this initially had before it was suspended, whereby users were buying these blue checks and then impersonating celebrities and high-profile people has been resolved. Elon Musk said one way to fix this will be to manually authenticate every single account that signs up for uh, the verified service. Again, a mammoth task on their hands to make sure uh, this is able to roll out effectively without any, any issues at this point, Frank. Well, Arjun, we know you're going to be on top of the story. We look for your reporting throughout the day. Thank you, as always. Happy Friday. Enjoy the weekend. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. This week's biggest insider buys and one CEO betting big to the tune of $100 million on his own stock that's already up 50% this year. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps. And we will be right back.
Racing for the jobs report, investors looking for any sign of a possible pet Fed pivot after yesterday's cooler than expected inflation read. Every data point matters. Five years later, Elon Musk finally making good on his promise to bring the next generation of trucking to America's highways. The highlights from a wild night in Reno next. And the Senate passing a bill to avert a rail worker strike that could have brought the U.S. economy to a grinding halt. It is Friday, December the 2nd, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan. I hope your Friday is getting off to a great start. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Here is how U.S. stock futures are shaping up. Pretty much flat across the board. The S&P, the Dow, and the Nasdaq, pretty much flat all morning long. Something to watch, especially with the jobs report coming up. We do have to pay attention to the bond market. Bond yields right now, as we can see, they're actually lower than they were yesterday. The 10-year note at 3.51. The two-year note at 4.199. Both of them lower than they were to start the week. The two-year note about 25 basis points lower. The 10-year about 15 basis points lower. Again, the jobs report could impact that. We also want to get a check right now on the crypto market, as we always do. Uh, Excuse me, oil. I'm jumping the gun here. We're going to talk crypto maybe later. Uh, The oil market, pretty much flat this morning. Uh, However, both WTI and Brent crude, both about five bucks, six bucks higher than they were to start the week. Big OPEC plus meeting coming up over the weekend. Something to watch. All right, time now for your top insider buys. This week for that, we send it over to Brian Sullivan. Brian? Time now for your weekly exclusive insider buying segment. I'm going to do News Daily right after this taping. Does that work? We good? Rolling and strolling. Let's boogie, baby. One take Sully. All right, insider buying. All right, as you can see, a couple technical difficulties there. But I'm telling you, Brian had the insider buying segment. We may try to get to it later in the show. Um, Right now, a live look at D.C. where a sigh of relief is being breathed. Uh, after a rail strike was narrowly avoided. I'm also just a sigh relief to see our Pippa Stevens. Hey, Pippa, good morning. Let's get to some of our morning's top corporate stories. Good morning, Frank. Starting here with the Senate, succeeding in preventing a rail labor strike late yesterday, voting to force unions to accept the current labor agreement in a rare show of bipartisanship. The bill, which will save the U.S. economy an estimated $2 billion a day, had the strike went on, now heads to President Biden's desk. And Tesla delivering its first all-electric semi-trailer trucks to Pepsi in Reno, Nevada, late last night. It's fun. It looks awesome. And, you know, there's, there's, there's actually a big shortage of drivers. And so if you're a, a truck driver and you want the, the most badass rig on the road, this is it. The event comes five years after Musk originally unveiled the all-electric truck, which was originally due out in 2019 but was delayed due to part shortages. Musk says it has a range per charge of 500 miles when pulling an an 82,000-pound load. Tesla plans to make 50,000 trucks through 2024 in North America. And this morning, the European Union is closing in on a possible Russian oil price cap of $60 per barrel. If a deal is reached, the cap is scheduled to go into effect on Monday. This as investors and traders await the outcome of Sunday's OPEC Plus meeting. The group largely expected to stick to its target of cutting oil production by 2 million barrels per day. And Frank, as you were just discussing, it is a pivotal week for oil coming up. Yeah, certainly a pivotal week for, the, for energy in general, uh, depending on that OPEC plus meeting. But I got to be honest, my big takeaway is if you're a billionaire, you can say bad A on CNBC. I never heard anybody else say bad A. Like, we're talking about the truck. 
Um, I don't want to say it. I want to keep my job, Pippa. I don't know about <laughs> you. All right. Thank you, Pippa. Have enjoy your Friday. All right. Let's get back to the broader markets and a 30,000 foot view of things. For that, we send it over to Brian Sullivan for this Worldwide Exchange exclusive. Hopefully it works this time. Very pleased now to be joined by uh, Rupal Bansali, Chief Investment Officer, Global Equities and Fund Manager at Ariel Investments. So, Rupal, it's great to have you back on Worldwide Exchange. Thanks very much. Um, you know, we heard from Jay Powell. We've got some data that shows inflation may be cooling off a bit, still hot historically. Where do you really see inflation now and where is it heading in the next six to 12 months? Uh, Brian, uh, I think we are still very data dependent. And I think people are reading too much into what Jay Powell said yesterday. I think he remains hawkish. And I think that the forward curve, uh, even though it's improved a bit, it's still at very elevated levels. And so I think it's premature to call a verdict on what inflation is going to peak, peak at. Uh, and I certainly don't want to be one of those people to make that prediction. Uh, but I think it's going to be higher for longer. And that's a challenge for markets. Does that mean the Fed will be more aggressive for longer? I'm not sure it'll be more aggressive. But even if it is slower, I think it's premature to call a victory on inflation. I think we're going to be higher for longer, and that's bad news for equity markets. Because if you think about real estate, if it's about location, 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 equities is about earnings, earnings, earnings. And so whether we have an economic recession that's soft or hard, I think we're going to have an earnings recession next year. And that's what I would suggest investors be focused on. Yeah, because there there does seem to be this theme in the market where, and maybe we've been so trained on this, Rupal, that... You know, the Fed's either going up or it's going down. That's kind of been the way it's been for a long time now. And everybody thinks, well, when they stop hiking, maybe they'll start cutting. Feels like you would disagree, which means equities would go up. Feels like you would fundamentally disagree with that. I think people are being penny-wise, pound-foolish. It's not about rate change. It's about a regime change. The thing I would focus on more is quantitative tightening versus quantitative easing that we had in the last decade. And QT is very painful and very tortuous. We already saw the impact it had on the mortgage bond market. The moment the Fed stopped buying mortgage bonds, rates shot up way higher than I think anybody anticipated or expected. And I think a similar development occurs with respect to the entirety of the yield curve uh, around the world, because the U.S. tends to send the benchmark rates for the world. Uh, We are likely to be in a higher for longer scenario uh, for a couple of years. And that bodes poorly for equity markets that are not prepared for that outcome. Is, is that just the your global equities? So are you talking about global equity markets? Are you talking about the U.S. stock market or are there parts of the world that you do like? Globally, we are headed for a recession. It's probably going to be a rolling recession. We already have one in China, as we all know, know right now. Uh, it's spreading to Europe. Uh, it will soon spread to the U.S., And that will become a global recession, which will create an earnings recession. And I think consensus estimates for 2023 and 2024 earnings are a bit too high, and they need to come down at least by double digits. And when earnings come down, multiples also derate. The other thing I would point out is, for a long time, the market has supported equity investing because of TINA. There is no alternative. Well, now there is. We are now in TN, which is the... Treasuries are giving you 4% rates of interest. That's a lot of competition for an equity market like the S&P 500, which only gives you a 1.5%. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be in Europe most of next week, Rupal, covering uh, the EU oil sanctions, potential price caps. Uh, What's going to happen with their energy crisis in 2023 and beyond? It's not really about this winter. It's about next year. You know, and there's this view that everything's fine because, oh, storage levels are good. 
No, half the storage was filled up in natural gas by Russian gas, which is no longer available. And so I'm, I, I don't know, I'm really worried about maybe Europe can muddle through, but from an economic perspective, I just, it seems hard to see how their economies can prosper. And that's an economy that's effectively, this, you know, together the same size as the United States. Are, are you worried about Europe economically? I'm worried about the world economically because we are headed into a, a geopolitical situation of deglobalization. Uh, and deglobalization is generally inflationary in nature. And that's my concern for markets at large, that we have been used to a, a, an environment where for 40 years, inflation was you know, falling or disinflationary or under control. Uh, and I'm not convinced uh, that we have the cat in the bag going forward. There are too many inflationary forces, one of which you mentioned, which is the inability to source cheap fuel is going to hurt a lot of industries uh, vicariously. Europe is just the beginning of that. Deglobalization means higher costs. And that's something the markets need to be prepared for because it affects corporate profit margins. Okay, so leave us with a little bit of opportunity. I mean, your job is to, is to protect your clients' wealth, grow your clients' wealth, as well as is, is it just only maybe about short-term treasuries and cash right now, or are there some areas that actually do look attractive? No, in fact, uh, I agree with you. Our job is to provide, you know, where is their investment opportunity? I am finding it actually in pockets of the market. I'm not a macro investor, but, you know, value tends to cluster. It is clustering in the U.K., a lot of the bad news politically and economically in the UK, I think, is already in the price. Uh, and there are very good dividend yields available in that market. Uh, and uh, Brazil and Latin America is also very well positioned for upside because they are commodity exporters. Uh, and to the extent that commodities has been causing inflation, uh, they benefit from it as opposed to suffer from it. So, of course, there are opportunities, but they're not in the conventional places that people look for, uh, look at. Are you buying Brazilian equities then? Are you buying Brazilian debt or both? Well, I already bought, uh, you know, because we, we try to look ahead uh, and not think of things just contemporaneously. But I would say that there is still opportunity for the other investors to look for bottoms up uh, stock picking. In particular, you asked about, you know, how would you position portfolios for this environment ahead? I think two strategies that make sense. Uh, one is dividend yielding strategies. Uh, and second is low vol strategies, both of which happen to be Things that I position for in my portfolios already, uh, the Aerial International and Global Equity Mutual Fund. And if people want to know the details of it, obviously it's on the website. But I would say those are the two attributes I would look for the most. The things I would be very suspect or wary about is leverage and liquidity. Any business model that depends upon leverage uh, is going to be finding itself into trouble. And then liquidity, uh, I think, is not going to be plentifully available next year and the year after. And so asset classes that are illiquid will probably suffer from an illiquidity discount than a premium. These are not the kinds of things that people mm -hmm. eventually look at in portfolios, which is why I'm flagging them as blind spots. All right. Thanks to Brian Sullivan, Rupal Bansali. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a housing health check and just how far home prices would need to fall to make up for the rapid rise in mortgage rates this year. Worldwide Exchange. We're back right after this. your weekly exclusive insider buying segment here on Worldwide Exchange, where we highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by their C-suite level execs, all with their own money. And as always, the info comes with our thanks to Verity Data. And we're going to count you down five to one. And this week, 
There are some big buys by some big names. All right, here we go. Fifth biggest insider buy this week is 3D Systems. That's a $192,000 buy by the CEO. Fourth most insider buy this week is logistics and warehousing firm Prologis. A $1.02 million buy by a board member. The shares there are down 30% this year, so maybe seeing some value in the stock. Number three is IAC, and this is a just about a $5 million buy by a board member named Michael Eisner. Yep. This Michael Eisner, the former CEO of Disney, and with this buy, he doubles his holdings of IAC. He had another $5 million buy back in August of 2020. All right, now to the top two, and listen to this one. Energy transfer. Have you heard the name before? You have. This is another massive buy by the founder and executive chair, Kelsey Warren. He bought just over $22 million this week, which means he has bought more than $100 million worth of his own stock this year, $100 million in a bunch of batches by Kelsey Warren in shares of ET, Energy Transfer, this year. And by the way, stock is up 50%, so he's buying into strength. And the most insider buying this week is Americo. The ticker there is U-Haul, a $28.2 million buy by the CEO of their parent company. So there you go. The top names this week, 3D Systems, Prologis, IAC, Energy Transfer, and Americo. Reminder, we do this almost Every Friday here on Worldwide Exchange, you'll only see it here or on CNBC Pro. So if you haven't, go sign up to CNBC Pro today. All right. Thank you to Brian Sullivan. Turning now to the housing market. As mortgage rates have shot up this year, home prices have weakened, but certainly not in lockstep with a rapid rise in interest rates. So just how far do prices need to come up to make up the difference? That's where we turn to our Diana Olick. Diana? down. The housing market has cooled dramatically in just the last four months due to the sharp rise in mortgage rates. Huge home price gains during the first years of the pandemic, as well as inflation hitting the consumer hard. Prices are now pulling back, still higher than they were a year ago, but dropping month to month more than usual seasonal patterns. So we wanted to take a look at what it would take to get affordability back to where it was just a year ago. Now, the average rate on the 30-year fixed has been moving between 65 and 7% over the last few weeks. It was around 3% a year ago. So let's compare home shopping at today's rate versus last year's rate. Take a $400,000 house, which is around the median U.S. price. With a 20% down payment on a 30-year fixed mortgage and a rate of 3%, the monthly payment, that's including principal and interest, would be $1,349. Now, a 7% interest rate bumps that payment up to $2,129, a 58% higher payment. So if we're keeping the rate at 7%, the home price would have to drop 37%. That's from $400,000 to $253,500 to get to that first lower payment. I hope you followed the math there. And much thanks to Black Knight for doing all this math for us. It is highly unlikely, of course, that prices would drop that much because this is a unique market with still strong buyer demand and very low supply of homes for sale. Realistically, it'll take adjustments across the board. That's in prices, rates and incomes to bring affordability back to long run averages. Frank. So, Diana, the housing market cooled dramatically in just the last few months due to the rise in interest rates. Um, We've obviously seen a drop in mortgage rates. Do you expect them to go much lower? And what effect is that having? Well, we actually this week saw an even sharper drop in rates down 
into below the six and a half, six point two nine percent, according to Mortgage News Daily. And that's a full percentage point lower than in October. Do I think they're going to go much lower? No. And they could bump back up higher again. But we did actually get a report from Redfin this morning. That's a real estate brokerage that showed in the last couple of weeks they have seen a bump up in buyer demand. And they have this index where they measure how many people are calling Redfin agents saying that they're interested. Also, we saw mortgage applications to buy a home last week jump 4% week to week, according to the mortgage bankers. So maybe some people getting in saying, okay, rates came down briefly. I got to jump now, worried that rates might go back up again. So, you know, we don't have the crystal ball on where rates are going to go exactly. Again, we're still twice where we were a year ago, Frank. Yeah, Diana Olick with the very latest in the housing market. Thank you very much, as always. Enjoy the weekend. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, what today's job report could mean for your stock portfolio and a program you know. Don't miss the final day for Pro Week here on CNBC. Our own Christina Partzinevelis will speak with Evercore's Mark Mahaney. It's real trades, real access, and real money on the line live at 3 p.m. Eastern today, and we will be right back. All right, so welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a final check on the markets ahead of the November jobs report. Futures right now, as we can see, they're pretty much flat, fractionally lower as we speak. Uh, joining me now is Greg Hahn, Chief Investment Officer at Winthrop Capital Management. Greg, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. All right, Thank big, you, Frank. Big jobs report coming up, obviously. This comes on the, on the back of a better-than-expected PCE report. And Jay Powell signaling. I think it's up for interpretation, <laughs> but signaling a softening of rate hikes, a lot of people seem to think. What are you expecting from this jobs report, and how does it impact the markets today? So we're in the camp that it's 200,000, but the risk is to the downside. Um, We're seeing... We are seeing a slowdown in the jobs market. However, the the context here is the jobs market is very, very healthy. So we've still got 10 million job openings with 6 million people unemployed. So there's more jobs than there are. But we're seeing a shift with jobs coming out of the tech sector and some of the mass layoffs are coming from tech. The most uh, obviously the big headline was the, the layoff at Twitter. Um, but there's still jobs out there. So it's the unemployment rate is what, 3.7 percent. We expect when the Fed finally finishes its cycle, unemployment will move probably to around four and a half percent. All right. So uh, not only do we have this month a Fed meeting, but we have a CPI report before the Fed meeting, uh, which may yeah. be some tea leaves for what, we're, what everybody's going to be, uh, I guess, trading on. Um, what are you expecting from that CPI report? And does that actually impact the Fed's decision? Well, OK, so the, I think the answer is yes and no. The context for this is the Fed was behind the curve. So the Fed had to move quickly to, to adjust short term interest rates. And they did so this year by shifting rates higher by 300 basis points. So they're not quite to their parity rate. We think parity is probably four and a half percent at the uh, Fed funds rate. But they've got some room now to digest. And they've, they've put this narrative in the market is we can take a little bit more of a wait and see attitude and slow down the aggressive push higher because they've caught up. But we expect if you go back to 1970s, the, the, the cycle from 1970 to 1975, the Fed did just enough to get inflation under control. But they never really broke the back of inflation until the late the second period in the 70s. We think that's what this Fed's going to do. So early in the show, we were talking about the decline in bond yields. Um, what we've seen over the last few weeks, especially since <laughs> wow. November the 9th. Yeah. Wh- thank you. Wow. It's pretty big. It is. Um, even is that spread between the two year and the 10 year is starting to close a bit. So I don't know if that lessens our recession concerns or what. But how does this shape your thoughts about the bond market and, and portfolio investing when it comes to bonds? 
So we, we've been hustling to extend duration in our bond portfolios. This has been a wonderful buying opportunity for fixed, fixed income investors because we can finally get income into a portfolio without taking excessive risk, uh, you know, in credit quality or duration. Um, but now we can extend the um, the move we've seen in rates the last two days. I mean, we've seen the the ten years down three and a half down to three and a half percent. That's a big move from thirty days ago. Triple B credit was is a sixty basis point move over the last thirty days, both in credit tightening, spread tightening, and in in the decline in, in interest rates in the ten year. All right, great. You got a couple of stop picks too. I, I want to start with one that I have the most <laughs> questions about. Yeah, Nvidia. Sure. Why is that one of your picks? So, where's that? Where's the so, opportunity there? Oh, well, it's in the auto market. NVIDIA is, uh, so we have we have five picks that we're looking at. Three of them are in the tech space. NVIDIA, um, the, the, the semiconductor space has gotten cheap. The chip space has. And NVIDIA, from a multiple standpoint, has always been too rich for us to buy. And it's finally down into a valuation that we think is affordable. So uh, it, even though it's a pretty healthy 30 times earnings, it's down from 60. And I think the markets that they serve, they are the premier chip provider in their markets, which are gaming and autos. All right. You're also bullish on mega cap tech. I'm talking Microsoft and Alphabet. Give us the, yeah. the elevator pitch on both of those stocks. So so Microsoft, at the end of the day, is, is just an amazing company. They've, they're firing on all cylinders. Um, they still have the overseas market in China that is a big market for them that, they, that can be tapped. But the, 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 the software as a service, the subscription model is working. The integration of Activision on the gaming side, that gaming business is wonderful. And they're top three in the cloud services industry, and cloud is here to stay. So it's, it's a, it's, they've got pricing power in the cloud market. And what about Alphabet? Alphabet, the, the advertising model is going to slow with with a decline in in the um, uh, and that's a valuation play. But the, it's a great company. But we think valuation is moving into a, in a very affordable area. Um, it, it's it's when we get down to 12 to 14 times earnings forward earnings, they've got some litigation issues that they're working through in Europe. But at the end of the day, it's a great it's a great model. And they've got the premier uh, platform on, on the Web. So. It, and again, it's also a, it, we, one of the one of the themes we have is in the cloud space, and they're one of the, the top on the cloud in the cloud space. Yeah, they are one of the biggest hyperscalers. Greg Hahn, we appreciate the insight. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Good morning. All right. Yep. Before we go, one last look at the futures right now. Futures basically flat right now. They have been all morning long ahead of the jobs report. Oil market, very similar story right now. WTI trading at about 81 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at almost 87 bucks a barrel. One last look at crypto. Uh, Bitcoin still below that key, all of a sudden key, 17,000 mark right now. Um, Keep an eye on Ether, XRP, and Solana, all of them down for the week. That's going to do it for Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, that's coming up next. Thanks. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.